When it comes to commercial snow removal, look to Tovar Snow Professionals. With the largest snow and ice management fleet in the Midwest, Tovar delivers top-notch commercial sidewalk and parking lot clearing services, even in winter's worst weather conditions. With their 24-hour live office staff, certified meteorologists, and personal service, they are leaders in professional snow removal. To get a free estimate for snow removal on your site, go to baseball.tovarsnow.com or call 844-GO-TOVAR. That number again is 844-GO-TOVAR. Tovar Snow Professionals, Chicago's snow plowing leader. Tovar is an equal opportunity employer. We're Cubs fans helping Cubs fans at Stewart's Cubs Cave Parties. Everybody's in full giving back to those in need. We're going to Club 400. Club 400. We're going to Club 400. Club 400. We're going to Club 400. Club 400 is on the air. William, I just got off the phone with Eric Hartman with all this snow, and Tovar's got to be going crazy. Our sponsor's got to be going nuts. Do you realize the last three weeks has been the most snow in 40 years here in the great state of Illinois over a three-week period of time? It's a lot of snow. It's a lot of snow. In fact, I pulled in my driveway today, and the snow is basically in the yard. It's pretty much up to I was kind of hoping he was going to do my driveway. He did do my driveway. Did he really? He came through. Nice. Because when I went on, when I went uh, away on Christmas break, it snowed while I was gone, and by the time I got back, it was frozen, and then it snowed on top of it. Did, was then, he able to get the apron then of the driveway? Oh yes, he did. did my driveway looked like a million bucks when they really. Left. Shout yeah. out to Tovar for all the guys working for yeah. Tovar, right and now. they're our sponsor. I mean, that's the best part. And you know, Eric told me that Wrigley Field hired Tovar. To remove all the snow off the field. Really? I said, well, how about if I uh, ride in one of the trucks? He goes, no, we have to do it with our hands because we can't mess up the grass. So I don't know what that means. but I don't know. You need extra people is the question. So Tovar is removing the snow from Wrigley Field. I wonder why. Well, oh, we'll find out soon. Well, you guys, welcome to the show. Uh, special show today. Uh, we w- did obviously want to admonish Black History Month, and we have a great guest we're bringing on today, William. Unbelievable. I'm excited for this. Yeah, and I have to th- give a special shout-out to our good friend, Danny Rocket, San Ranto Show, uh, for really finding this charity and finding this awesome cause. And uh, Danny's done a few things. Uh, that these guys have been h- hanging out and working together, and Danny's played music for the kids, and there's a good relationship blossoming there um, between uh, the Cubs community and the Lost Boys. But, uh, yeah, really excited about this. We're going to call Levante now, and we're going to hear all about the Lost Boys, what they're doing, uh, how he, how it got started, and just I think it'll be a great episode. And you know what? This is exactly what Club 400 loves. I mean, this is, this is the epitome of, like, when I heard the story of the Lost Boys, I'm like, man, I'm in, like, like, we're going to do something for these guys. We're going to make some kind of donation down the line uh, from one of our bigger parties because uh, I, I want to support it. I think it's a great story. So uh, uh, we're bringing Levante on here in a minute. Uh, William, our next show, uh, I want to do a quick preview, spring training show. Uh, we're headed out there. Is it going to be live from spring training or is it going to be a summary of spring training? It's going to be before we get on that plane. Okay. So uh, March 2nd, March 2nd through March 7th, William and I will be down there. We rented a house in Chandler. Got a couple other friends coming. Doesn't sound like we have much time to record a podcast while we're down there. No, we'll be be recording our podcast after. Right. Uh, We did get tickets for the games. Uh, We'll be at Sloan Park on the Wednesday, uh, March 3rd, March 5th at Sloan. Uh, March 6th, we'll be at the Brewer Stadium. And we're going to have an open house. We're going to have an open house. If you are a Club 400 member, if you listen to the show, uh, we're going to have a cookout at our house. Uh, so we'll give you all that information. Or if you're going to be down in Arizona, just PM me through Facebook. Private message me, and um, I'll give you the address. Uh, Kathy Wheelie's bringing five cases of beer down. and uh, What kind of beers, do? The greatest beer of all. We might actually go. William... <sighs> I think what I'll, beverage I, are Stu and William drinking tonight? Um, I think I'm going to be a failure tonight. 
Yeah, I'm still in sober February. I don't know what happened to you, but it's like you're, yeah. Well, Ryan actually has, uh, he did his first ever seltzer. seltzer. Yeah, but seltzer's not really drinking, is it? I mean, it's 5%. It's kind of partial water, too. And I'm a big seltzer guy. Okay, whatever. I lost my man card a while ago, but I love seltzer. Is it it Club 400 flavored seltzer? It's supposedly a raspberry seltzer. And, um. Ryan says there's a lot of money in seltzer because there's really, you know. Well, that's the popular thing today. I'm, right. I'm sure there's a There's just it's sugar and water, basically. Right. You know, you don't have to get the barley. You don't have to get all the yeast. Yeah. Is it uh, good for people that are trying to lose weight? It, I, I think so. Okay. Well, we could ask Ryan. Or, yeah. Day. So Ryan said if you wait to March 1st, you're not going to get any seltzer. So I don't know. So we got to break the. Yeah. So the I, just poured, I just poured a vodka Red Bull. I ain't going to lie. All right. I made it like three weeks. Two go. weeks, maybe two weeks, three weeks. You, you do. You Wait, did it's well. the eighteenth today, nineteenth. You did well, it's my almost friend. Almost three weeks, you whatever. Well. You did well. All right, guys, uh, we're gonna bring on our guest right now. Uh, really proud to have him on. Club Four Hundred would like to present to you guys uh, someone who I want to get to know a lot better. Uh, he's uh, started a charity called the Lost Boys. Welcome to Club Four Hundred, Levante Stewart. How you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, William. Thank you. Thank you and Stuart for having me. Um, excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, so like uh, we were just talking uh, before we started recording that uh, Danny Rocket, I know you've formed a, a, a really good special relationship with him. And uh, when he told me about the Lost Boys and t- told me the, the history of how it got started, I was like, man, Club 400 and Lost Boys, we're going to do something for the, We're going to be a part of your cause because. Your cause is amazing. Uh, let's talk about you as a person and, uh, you know, how, how you st- started this charity. You know, I always talk about how I started Club 400 Levante and, like, it was truly organic. Uh, it wasn't thought out. It was something that just happened. But uh, let's hear about a little bit about – I want to hear the whole story about how you started Lost Boys and how it came to f- into fruition. Yeah, absolutely. So um – started out as a just a normal regular little league coach so I grew up in I'm from South Shore which is in the southeast side of Chicago and so I grew up in the South Shore community and back then we had South Shore Little League and so I grew up in that my mom put me in at an early age and my wife she found these flyers in around 2006 the the league became defunct maybe, you know, after the 90s and the early 2000s, it was gone for a couple of decades. You know, there was no local baseball league in South Shore in the community of 50,000 people. And so a gentleman named Daniel Anderson brought it back in around 2006. My wife found a flyer. Of course, it was nostalgic. I was excited. It wasn't necessarily the same league I grew up in, but at least it was the namesake of the league. So to kind of resurrect it and bring it back. So I started out coaching 12U team, uh, my best friend in high school who I play ball with as well, uh, Joe Stewart, he decided to coach with me. So we coached our first team, the Yankees. We won the league championship. I mean, man, I was hooked on coaching after that because we were given like what I call a ragtag group of boys. We were given all of the kids after the draft who, you know, so cream of the crop had already been taken. So we, a bunch of kids that mostly probably had never played baseball. And, you know, we formed an unthinkable team from it, uh, sort of like a modern Bad News Bears. And we turned it around just like that movie. So, yeah, I was hooked in the power of sport um, in that aspect as an adult. I mean, I was already hooked on sports as a kid. So fast forward a little bit. I did that for about three years. Um, and for some reason, the league folded. And it was devastating. And so I was out middle of the summer. I think it was late May day maybe early June, and I'm talking with the boys. It's like 2008 by this point, and I'm getting ready to let them know that the league is folding, and if they want to keep playing, we'll get them with a team with one of our league mates like Jackie Robinson West or Southside Little League or Roseland Little League, and we experience this like traumatic incident. So they're like two guys chasing another guy across the field. They've got guns, you know, and I'm old school. I hit the dirt. The kids, though, they're kind of standing, talking, laughing, taking bets on if he's going to get the guy or not. And so at that moment, 
I just kind of had an epiphany, right? Um, it was a lot going through me. It was like, wow, how did the kids get so desensitized to gun violence? And so being reflective, you know, I always tell people I'm from the boys in the hood generation as a teenager. So uh, there was a proliferation in drugs and guns and gangs when I was growing up. So communities, our communities got really destabilized around that period. So there was a sense of personal guilt in terms of my contribution as a teenager into that scene. I was kind of a one foot on each side of the fence kind of guy, right? Two parent household, upper middle class, Catholic school all the way, very smart, very articulate. But yet, you know, I had to live in a neighborhood. And so I had to deal with the peer pressure of, you know, being the person I just described and trying to fit in on what was kind of average around me. Um, so that's how I kind of got involved in some antisocial behavior and things that later kind of got me in trouble. Um, so anyway, we experienced this and, and I just had this deep, resounding commitment not to walk away from this set of kids as I just looked at them and, and was kind of analyzing each of them one by one um, and just thinking through that whole situation. So from there, we became a barnstorming club and started trying to figure out how to do this, uh, you know, myself. And from there, Lost Boys was born as I kind of stood there talking about it. You know, I said to myself, wow, I can't believe where we are as a community. You know, the adults are lost, the kids are lost, the community's lost. And so it was more, not a reflection of the kids when people say, well, that's a negative name. No, it's not about the kids being lost. It's actually an indictment on the adults in the community who allowed it to get to this point. Um, you know, so the kids were actually, what's happened to young people in my community was the byproduct of the adults letting go. So therefore, the onus was on the adults, and that's where the concept of lost boys came from. It was that something that's lost is something that you relinquish control of, or you don't intentionally know that you no longer have control or possession of it. And that's what happened. And so that's why it became lost boys, because the adults relinquished control, or they didn't realize how far they had let things socially get. Gotcha. And, um, I mean, I think, uh, I, that's, I, you know, I was going to, that was one of my questions of how you came up with the lost boys name and, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so when going back to your childhood, did you, did you play little league? Did you play baseball when you were a kid or I know you love baseball and Hey, William, I'm not, he's a Sox fan, but that's okay. We love him. I love Sox fans. <laughs> I did. I, I did Stuart and William. I, um, so my mom, it's a funny story. My mom put me in, I was T-ball, like four or five years old. Um, and I'm left-handed. So she didn't know. She wasn't, you know, really that into sports, but she wanted me to have extracurricular activities to be able to do it at, at an early age. And so she bought me a glove for the left hand because that's what she assumed she was supposed to do. I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about baseball yet. And so I would go out there and, you know, stick me in the outfield and, uh, this happened for a couple of years. It's astounding that it, it went for like at least two years, but they would hit the ball. They come out there. I chase it. I'd scoop it up in the glove. I take the glove off, put it under my arm and throw the ball with my left hand. And no coach for two years told my mother, ma'am, let's trade this glove. He, you know, he's left-handed. He should have a glove on his right hand. And, uh, cause these coaches were just at the time were kind of just worried about, together a nice team and winning and right. I ended up being kind of the non-athletic kids sitting at the end of the bench with the other non-athletic kids playing dugout golf and coming up with other things to do to burn the time since I wasn't on the field but I still love the game and eventually I decided you know I love this game enough that I want to be competitive I want to help my teams I don't want to be the buster as we called it back then sitting on the bench so I just worked my keister off from then on to get better and better First guy at practice, last person to leave. And it was that way through high school. And Joe, Joe really helped me out in high school. We would stay after practice and he would just work me because this guy was an amazing athlete. Um, you know, he was a, probably one of the top prospects in Chicago in baseball, football. He was a quarterback. Uh, thing happened to Joe. We got, he got shot in the back when we were juniors in high school and he was paralyzed. So 
that put an end to his sports career. And it had a lot to do with the creation of Lost Boys as well. But yeah, um, and so, you know, I was kind of like that all the way through college ball. Um, and that's kind of where I, I peeked out at was like, you know, college, this is it. I'm not going to get too far. And, uh, but, you know, I love the game. So coaching was a natural transition for me to, to do. Before we get off that story, um, when you were young and you had the glove on the wrong hand, cause my, my younger brother is left-handed as well and had a similar story. What, what did you do with the bat? Did you bat left or right or? Yeah, no, I batted left-handed. Um, I actually had probably kind of a little bit of a knack already for, for, figuring that part out. Uh, That's interesting, so, yeah, though, that the coaches okay. coaches didn't say, oh, he bats left. Maybe he's left-handed, you know? Yeah, you, you know what? It, 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 yeah, it, yeah. I'll leave that one there. Yeah, because my younger brother, actually, who wore the glove on the wrong hand, he, he tried really hard to hit right-handed. <laughs> he couldn't do it. <laughs> It was like he was like forcing it and all that. So anyway, that's interesting. I, I think they probably tried to do that to me too. Probably tried to force me to the right side of the plate, and okay. it was something unnatural and uncomfortable for me. And I think I kind of figured out on my own that I should be on the other side of the plate. But every uh, but everyone knows that you got a better shot making it to the pros as a left-handed like pitcher, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and oh god, we don't even want to talk about that one. They, they would never let me try, and then when they finally let me try to pitch, uh, no practice, no work on it. I finally just get thrown on the the bump in the game. I think it was like a ten U game or something. I was probably nine or ten, and man, all of my pitches hit the sign. You remember how the sign would be at the backstop in Chicago Park Districts, all the way at the top of the backstop. Yeah. That's what every one of my pitches ends up. <laughs> So pitching wasn't in the cards. Okay. So you grew up playing baseball. Obviously, you love the game. I mean, it's now revolves around your life. But, you know, that's the one thing that I've always said. And what we've talked about it on the show is, like, I mean, loving a sports team. Sports bring people together, you know. And I, and I think, yeah. I mean, they do. They bring all different types of people together. And, and that's what I, that's why I love I mean, I love what we're doing here. You know, we're raising money for people because of our love for the Cubs, you know. And, like, you and you, here you are, uh, you know, growing up loving baseball. As you get older, you know, like you said, you grew up in the uh, the Boys in the Hood era. You know, you probably got involved with, you know, girls and whatever else. And, uh but then, but you, baseball, you know, did not leave you. It never left you. And then you start this organization Tell us about, I'm sure like when I started Club 400 and what it is now, it's a little different than, but tell us about your vision. And uh, yeah, and, and to back up real quick, earlier during COVID, right, this year, you guys lost, yeah. was it the the founder or who, who, who passed away in your organization? I know he had a big part of the Lost Boys. Yeah, so we lost uh, Frank Sargent. He was uh, currently our office manager. He was one of the original board members, but Frank was, you know, one of my closest, dearest, Friends. He was also a mentor because Frank was a little bit older than me, um, more, I would say, older brother kind of age. But, I mean, if he would have had a kid at 15, I could have been his son. But um, so Frank, yeah, about 15 years on me. But we were, we were extremely close. He's been with me, you know, every step of the way since I started the organization. And so kind of always my hype man and keeping me focused. I called him my spiritual advisor as well. And so, yeah, unfortunately, we lost Frank to a heart attack uh, this past year. He was, you know, just a few days out from his birthday, and he was dressed, ready to walk out the door, had his Lost Boys uniform on, his polo and his gear, and had a heart attack at his front door. And mm. uh, Yeah, so it, it was, you know, it was devastating for us. Um, for me personally, it was it, probably one of the most, challenging times I've had in the past 20 years of my life. I mean, you know, just a lot to think about at that moment and uh, almost won't even walk away from what I'm doing and just wanted to kind of fold up and be a recluse. But I could hear Frank in my head telling me not to quit, to keep pushing, keep going. That's exactly what he would have told me. Mm. 
And he just, you know, told me some other things in a very colorful and descriptive way, but, <laughs> you know, it would have been like, don't you even dare. So, you know, I think it gave us more, even more of a commitment because Frank really dedicated his life to this work and to, to young people and children and to, and to violence in Chicago and to development and opportunities and the love of sports, specifically baseball. Frank was a hardcore Cubs fan, like you all. Um, and Frank would tell all of the best Cubs stories. Mm. So, yeah, really, really uh, miss Frank. We do love Aloy Jimenez, by the way. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sox are going to be good this year. They're going to be real good. They're going to be fun to watch. Yeah. It looks like the rebuild is staying off and uh, kind of interesting, right? As as we're building up on the south side, uh, you guys are struggling over there on the north side. Yes, yes we yeah, are. Not to make light of my Cubs. At least we got Jake back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you got Jake back. Yeah, I, I got it. Give us something to watch. So, I'm like, yeah, I wanted to see this Crosstown World Series. I, I was really hoping it, it almost happened last season, but I was hoping. Yeah, it's not going to happen this year, but, you know, we can all wish, right? Exactly. Maybe in my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, hey, I got a Sox championship, a Cubs championship, a black president, all of the things I never thought would happen in my lifetime. Yep. So who knows? There you man. go. There you go. So tell us more about the Lost Boys organization. You kind of explained how it started and – um, that kind of thing, but the kind of the meat and potatoes of what it is for the yeah, listeners. So right? Absolutely. So what we are at our, at our core is we are what you call a sports-based youth development organization, SBYD. So it is this social science theory that was pretty slept on up until probably the last 10, 15 years. And really the last five to six years, it has gotten all kinds of attention. It, is, it has accelerated in the public sphere in terms of visibility, impact. And so basically, and so basically the premise of it is, it's about leveraging the power of sport to help young people, to place them on a positive trajectory in life through the use of mutually beneficial relationships with adults, with coaches and mentors. Um, so, that's kind of the concept or the theory at, at its simplest core. Now, it has a bunch of methodology built on top of it and how you get there with the five C's, et cetera. But um, at the time I started using it, I actually didn't know the name of what I was doing. Mm. So I figured it out while I was working on my second master's degree uh, around 2013 or so. I was working on that. It, Paul, I never got my work. first one. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on my master's in public administration. So that was uh, applicable to government and to nonprofits. And I was doing both. I was working in a career in state government, uh, legislative side. And I, you know, had this nonprofit that I had going at that point, you know, had been going about five years. Um, so everything I was doing in that, in that coursework, uh, spoke directly to what I was trying to do with building this nonprofit. But at the time I had this idea and I just didn't know how to articulate it or I didn't know how to find the right research or the existing body of work that had a label for it. And so eventually I figured out what it was called during my research and it was sports-based youth development. But again, my idea about it was sports, number one how influential sports are, especially in the lives of young boys. Now, this also is applicable to girls as we continue to move forward, right? Yeah. But specifically with boys in Chicago and on the South and West sides. And, um, and then baseball, people always say, well, why baseball? Why, you know, I've played a lot of sports. I won a uh, college championship in football, national, we were share, shared in black national champs, Hampton University, 1995, 94. Nice. Um, I was a wrestler, took third in, in state when I was in high school at De La Salle, wrestled for De La Salle, wrestled for Hirsch Metropolitan High School, played soccer. Man, I, I mean, I just love sports. And, you know, I excelled at a couple of them. But of all of the sports, nothing, I tell people all the time, nothing is more American than baseball. Baseball, there's so much intersectionality with our social development, with our political development, with, you know, historical lens. I mean, so many things connect back to that 
diamond that it is astounding when you really step back and take a look at America, right? Um, I always tell people, for example, without baseball, does integration, how long does integration really take in this country, right? So the guys got it done there on that baseball field first, right? So when things became acceptable in sports, if you notice, they tend to become more acceptable in the larger scope of society. So being able to, to sit side by side in a stadium, black and white, and watch a game there, at that moment, it doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if you're poor, if you're rich, if you're from the north side, if you're from the south side, if you went to Catholic school, if you went to public school, if you're a Cubs fan, we're all rooting for the Cubs. So at that moment, you're my best friend. Mm-hmm. Everything else doesn't matter. And if we look at that same lens, you can talk about gender equality. When the men went off to war, who took the field? It was the ladies, right? So they yep. replaced them in terms of baseball. So that opened up doors, the beginning at least, of, or not the beginning, but you know, I think that it made a, a significant contribution to developments around gender equality. Uh, we still have a long way to go on gender equality, right? Just like some other matters, we have a long way to go. But I mean, I, I just believe you can find almost anything and it points back to that baseball diamond. Yeah, totally agree with that. Hey, how how many kids, just to give us a sense, are, are involved with Lost Boys program? Well, you know, William, our numbers are, compared to some other nonprofits, relatively low, but we keep them low intentionally. So in totality, we probably serve around somewhere almost around 200 kids across three communities in two different programs. One is for adolescents, ages four to 14, and that's where they actually play organized ball. Once they get 15 and older, then we have one core program right now in South Shore. We're in South Shore, Pilsen, and Humble Park, and we're hoping to expand to a few more communities. Uh, But what we do, excuse me, in South Shore when they turn 15, is we replace the part of being on a baseball or a softball team and we introduce them to workforce development and entrepreneurship. Now they still are exposed to the other components because our, our motto encompasses a number of things. It involves not only the organized team sport, but you've got civic engagement, cultural enrichment, academic enrichment, um, civic engagement, additional recreational opportunities, what I you know, like to call non-traditional uh, recreational opportunities. So other than basketball, football, you know, the basic stuff that you kind of see in the neighborhood. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, uh, my young folks who are in their academic session, they are doing a chess teaser program right now with the Chicago Chess Foundation online. So they're learning how to play chess. Um, and it's a strategic reason, right? Because, well, it's one, you know, learning a new game, but two, chess is a thinking person's game. So, you know, it, it, it has cerebral stimulation. So using this, it helps us to talk about planning and thinking and other cognitive behavior. So anyway, um, service learning is a big part of what we do and community service. So all of these things are bundled into what we do. So a kid can't just walk in the door at Lost Boys and say, hey, I want to play ball. Yeah, you're going to play ball. And do you're the, learn, yeah, do the rest all of this other stuff. You're going to learn the history of the game, various contributions from different people, whether it's uh, ethnic contributions, uh, you know, by race, by ethnicity, by gender. We want to examine what everybody has brought to the game and how does that work. We want to talk about, uh, is now one of my favorite sayings, we want to talk about uh, Babe Ruth, right, a.k.a the white Josh Gibson, or we want to talk about Josh Gibson, AKA the black Babe Ruth. <laughs> so, you know, we want these things that complement one another rather than to be um, kind of antagonistic towards each other, right? That's the thing we want to take out of all, take, a, take out of it, right? The separation, we want to show where the connections are and where the commonalities are, because connections is a huge part of the SBYD model. And so that's, you know, a big thing in, in, in the adults is they're not, our staff is not just regular coaches. So, you know, they get trained in so many areas, but one of the most important areas they are trained in by an organization called Up To Us and by Laureus USA, who's one of our uh, largest funders uh, and guides on this, this journey, 
is really this focus on trauma-sensitive coaching. So the thing that I recognized as a boy from the South Side was all of the trauma I've experienced growing up in Chicago and how that has impacted me from childhood to adulthood and how it still impacts my own children, right? I still live in a community where I have to deal with uh, losing family and loved ones uh, as victims of gun violence. Or sometimes these kids that I'm working with, you know, they can become a victim of that. And so that impacts you longer than the 48 hours after the incident occurs. It can haunt you, it can impact you for years and years and years. Like my oldest son, who's 15, he's, you know, he's, he's a very brave kid, but, you know, he, as a little kid, it bothered him. If he hear pops and he gets very uncomfortable, you know, he gets nervous, he thinks about um, gunshots because he's actually been in the car with his mom and I while we were in a drive through restaurant and we watched the guy walk past our car with the gun out and, you know, shoot somebody up in the car right in front of us in a drive through Jesus. So when kids and, and parents and family members are seeing stuff like that, and that's not to, you know, just put this negative label on my community because my community has good and it has bad. Um, but my point is that there is this form of urban PTSD that people are dealing with for various reasons. But on the South side, when it comes to black and brown people, gun violence has definitely traumatized folks. So yeah, one of the things we had to do was look at how we coach, how effective coaching is, and how do you do it in context of all of these other things that kids have to deal with every single day of their lives, right? So instead of labeling a kid, oh, he's not coachable, he won't listen, he's hard-headed, he's not going to be good. No, we get to the root of why this kid is displaying certain behaviors instead of labeling them a bad kid and saying they're not coachable and they don't listen. And we get to, we try to get to the root of why this kid is acting out. Usually there, what we learned in all of this is there's a reason why young people, why children are acting out in these ways, whether it's something at home, something very traumatic they've been through. And usually we can get through to them and we can kind of crack that shell. And then we're able to, once we start understanding the trauma, we're able to address it through the program, through the sport, through everything else that we do. And young people have an opportunity to heal here. And you know what, guys? It's not just the kids. It's the adults that are healing, too. I'm thankful for this every day because every day I'm healing a little bit more with the time, the quality time that I get to spend with my little ball players and my staff. It's, you know, it's a family. You hear that a lot at companies and organizations, but it truly is a matter of family here at Lost Boys. I mean, 24-7, we're here for one another, no matter what it is. I just got four guys that came back now going to dig a grandma out who uh, was trying to bring, you know, her kid here for today. And so they went to dig her out. She got stuck in the snow behind her mm. garage. So, you know, it's a family. And we go that extra mile for one another. And it's not about wins and losses here. It's just about getting in the game and loving the game and loving one another and having support for each other. So does that sense? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, does go that ahead. sense of family help a lot of these kids, you know, get grounded and make help them make better decisions as far as um, things they could get involved in growing up and and those kinds of things? Yes, absolutely. That is a huge part of it. You know, especially when they become teenagers, and that's why we created the Continuum of Service, the program. SYL, Successful Youth Leaders, because what I started finding after doing this for about seven years or so and the kids started to get older, um, I found two things. One, I kind of found that kids begin to fall away from the game. You know, there's kind of uh, this digression away from playing. And so the older they get, the harder it is to feel you know, teams, full teams, full rosters. And so I was scratching my head about it. And, you know, again, it's that first labeling, all oh, kids are getting lazy. They just don't want to play the game. No, when I started investigating, looking at it, talking more to the young people, um, a couple of things were happening. There was peer influence, right, negative peer influence that was pulling them away from the game, from the family. And then there's just plain out need, 
if I'm 15, 16 years old, yeah, I like playing sports, but everybody in school is wearing Jordan. Mom has four kids and works two jobs. You know, dad's got, dad's there too. He's got a job, but four kids, you, you know, they might can't afford to buy four pairs of Jordans every time they go get shoes. That's a thousand bucks. So that's what we started looking at. And that's why we brought in the workforce development piece. We're like, teens want to make some money. You know, they want to be able to earn a few dollars, put it in their pocket, uh, depend on themselves a little bit. And this takes a little pressure off parents too. And so we've really seen successes from that. It's led to something even better, which was part of my original vision with this. The original vision was to, to see a fully thriving community where young people are actively involved economically, politically, socially, uh, just really engaged civically um, and really benefiting economically, right? At the end of the day, that's the biggest thing that I wanted to see. Um, and well, why sports? Well, sports are economic engines in this country. Entertainment, sports entertainment is what, you know, multi-billion dollar industries. Youth baseball itself is now a multi-billion dollar industry industry thanks to travel ball and yeah. all of the hype around that stuff. So, you know, a lot of things in America have to do with money and they involve money. And so that's the mindset we wanted our young people to have was like, you know, there's nothing wrong with money and here are the paths to try to get to it. And you can do it through sports and here are ways. You don't have to be a multi-million dollar athlete. You're not, everybody's not going to be Tim Anderson. Everybody's not going to be Carlton Fisk. Um, you know, everybody's not going to be Lee Smith. So what do you do? Well, explaining to young people, hey, that guy that t cuts the grass at, at Wrigley and turns the dirt probably makes six figures doing that, right? So, and they're looking, really? You can make $100,000 doing that? Yes, you absolutely can, depending on where you land. You can be in someone's uh, back office, front office. So there are all kinds of occupations around sports themselves, training, coaching, you know, whatever it may be. And so that's why we started focusing in on that. Um, but what's really taken off now is the entrepreneurship piece. So we're excited because we've just launched our very first youth-owned micro-enterprise. So it's five young ladies from South Shore. Three of them uh, recently graduated the SYL program. It's a four to five year program. You come in when you're 15, you exit when you're like 20. Um, three of them, we just, they graduated the program this last year and we just hired them back in as regular permanent staff. So two of them are administrators, one is a coach. Um, and with two young ladies that are still in the program who are coming out in another year or two, these five together are newly uh, new business owners. They now own a company called Shy Girls Enterprises, LLC. They are a concessionaire company. So right now we're in the process of bidding on concession stands along the uh, lakefront beaches on the south side. So we're looking at maybe three locations we're hoping to, to get that we applied for, Rainbow Beach, South Shore Cultural Center, and the new Gateway Park, because Gateway's getting revamped. Hmm. Um, as well, they're going to do a mobile food truck. So And they picked concessions because they had been helping do this fundraiser. We have a concession stand at Soldier Field for the past few years. And so what we did was the funds that we raised from that, we earmarked them for the girls to be their seed capital. And then Lost Boys matches with a 20% investment. So, you know, these five girls started this company with $18,000 in the pot and they are ready. And I am excited because it is legitimate. It is now up. It is a legally, uh, legally running company. And so, yeah, we got we to gotta actualize on it and capitalize and make some money. But I think if, if only one of these contracts come through, you know, it's huge. If none of them come through, just the process, right. exposure to the process, and exactly. to have your own company. So it was not a futile exercise, you know, and that's not knocking any programs that teach youth entrepreneurship. But most programs will teach kids all about it. And we have the curriculum, business curriculums and all of that stuff, too. They'll teach you all about it, but then there's no real opportunity to actualize it. Right. They so stop here is right a when real opportunity right. to make it, make yeah. the business. After you learn how to do it, to actually make it. So we've got a couple of other ideas in the hopper. We got a, There's going to be an apparel company coming out in another year or two. 
And so right now they're doing business partnerships with, uh, we've got a couple of online sensations on Twitter. So we've partnered with Pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman. Nice, nice. Is nice. the godfather of pitching, right? On I tried, to, I tried to buy a hat off them the other day and they sold out in like minutes. Pitching Ninja. Dude, they sell out in like five minutes, right? As soon as you put them up. And, and so the person or the company that he's selling that through, we have a partnership with them as well, RotoWare. So RotoWare has produced a couple of shirts for us. So, uh, one, they produced the Rising Fastball shirt when we were having the uh, racial unrest in America after the George Floyd killing. So it's you know pretty much a black power fist with the uh, baseball in the hand, what it looks like a four-seam grip. Uh, but it's such a powerful piece being wrapped in baseball in such a way. Um, and it's very moving for me as a, a black American because – that has always been a controversial topic. Uh, what does black power mean to non-black people? They don't fully understand what's meant by it. Um, and it's just really about self-determination and self-actualization for black people. Um, being able to empower ourselves in our communities. It's not about hatred towards anybody else or dominance of anybody else. It was about a people that's been exploited, that have been oppressed, that have never had power over themselves or their faculties or their own bodies finally saying we, you know, we want some of that. Um, and so, you know, now for it to be able to be talked about more openly, um, it feels really good being the child of that, right? I'm, I'm, and you guys are probably around in the same age range as me. Maybe I'm 45. Yeah, I'm 46. So, you know, yeah. we're, we're, the, yeah, we're the children of what was happening at that tail end of, civil rights. So, you know, like the young people now, they're learning about that era of uh, doing their civil rights and coming into the black power movement. And so those people that were in those movements, the Fred Hamptons, the Mark Clarks, those were my parents. Some of the people that have mentored me uh, are those people who were involved, you know, in such a movement. But to have RotoWare and Pitching Ninja embrace that with us and, and to be courageous enough to put that on the t-shirt and take a chance like that because i mean somebody could have not liked it and they could have walked away from them in terms of their customer base but they were willing to to embrace us that way so i'm very grateful and we're working on something with west burton with those same two guys companies okay west burton is a pitcher for uh old miss university and he's an amazing kid and he's pushing something too that we're doing with with West. So there's a lot of partnerships going with the young people who are doing the apparel company. They also just produced a, a shirt recently called Baseball is Life. And it's, uh, it has a play on the Chicago flag. So it looks like the Chicago flag, but instead of the stars, it's replaced by the three bases and home plate. That's awesome. So same color, you know, layout and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about that. We've got young people becoming young entrepreneurs, thinking about that. Uh, they're also working, so they're doing both, right? They're learning how to work for someone else, and they're learning how to work for them. I love it. I love it because, you know, I, I told you before we came on air that I purposely didn't do my homework as much as I should, but what it sounds like to me is I, I thought this was, you know, a baseball league. This is more than that. This is way more than that. This is a mentorship program with all these great programs around it, with baseball just being like the, the centerpiece of it. The bonding part of it, right? Which I mean, actually is kind right. of like what Club 400 is. Right. I mean, Club Club 400 on a literal basis is a basement, decorated basement. Yeah. But it's way more than that. It's a family. It's a group of people. And we're all trying to raise a million dollars or whatever that right. number turns out to be, you know. So So that, that was the one thing I was wanting to ask you about, Vante, was, all right, the incident at the park, you're like, okay, I want to do something. You know, there's no, this league is folded up. So you started, you know, did you see, when you started Lost Weights, which believe, I think you, the first year maybe that you became, was it 2013 or 12, right around there? Uh, well, 2008. 2008 is when you started the company, Lost Boys? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so when you started it, did you envision like, all the things that you're doing now, or did, did has no, it just no. has this just evolved into bigger, bigger th things as you went along? Guys, it has absolutely evolved, and so I, I I I would be remiss if I didn't say this. I grew up, you know, like I said, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home, Catholic schools, Catholic church, masses with mom and grandma, 
grand, other grandmother was a African Methodist Episcopalian preacher, so AME Zion. So I've always been very close to church, uh, but more so I've been always very close to God as a person. Since I was a little bitty kid, I've always been enamored by, curious about, and so I sought God out for myself. I didn't need a preacher to tell me how to go find him. I, you know, I went to do it for myself. So I said that to say, I'm a man of faith. And so the majority of things that I really believe in, I do it from a faith perspective. And so Lost Boys is absolutely that to me. It is more than my job. It is more than just some nice organization I started. It is my life's work. It is my mission. It is my purpose, my God-given purpose on this earth of many, hopefully, one of a few things. But yeah, man, so starting it out, it, it was really driven by faith because, and that's what faith is, is walking in the dark and, and trusting God when you can't see what's in front of you. And I didn't intend for it to be this. I just wanted to have a little baseball team, be competitive. I wanted to win a couple of trophies. You know, I wanted me nine dogs on that field that could go out and whip any team we played. Because, again, I was coming from an athlete's perspective, so it was all about playing and winning and, you know, being a top athlete. Um, and, and that evolved. Absolutely, guys. As we, I started seeing other opportunities, I started looking at the challenges and the barriers. Um, this thing started to really, really just take off in a different direction. So, and, and it was awesome. I mean, it's been a, it's been a labor of love. Um, and it's been a lot of tough years. I've always had to keep a full-time job, and this has always been like a secondary full-time job. I've got four kids. Well, I had three then. Uh, we've got a fourth now. I've got a little one-year-old guy at home. So a You're busy. Ball You're... Training. Oh, yeah. Um, you got the you so, get yeah. you got the infield covered. Are you gonna build have an outfield too? Then <laughs> yeah, man, I, I I got a little almost a little basketball team. But you know, it's funny. All of my kids, my family, they're all extremely supportive. Um, you know, I always credit my children's mom. If it wasn't for her, Lost Boys probably wouldn't exist. But um, my kids have all been involved in it, and they've grown up in it over the past thirteen years. You know, um, my son is fifteen. My Daughters are 18 and 20. Uh, one of them is in the, well, the two younger, the 18 and 15, they're in the leadership program, the FYL program. Um, and my oldest daughter is one of the girls that I talked about that graduated. And, you know, we hired her back as an administrator. So she runs, like, our social media stuff, and she does a bunch of other stuff. That's my little college student. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you guys, I've been blessed beyond measure to, you know, if you can talk about the measure of success of a man, for me, I'm extremely successful. If I look at nothing else, you know, I've got something that's positively impacting young people's lives and families, whole families, not just the kids. And my children, my family is a big part of that. So that makes it even more meaningful because oftentimes, especially when you talk to baseball players, a lot of them will tell you they sacrifice their families for baseball, right? They like, the wives just weren't into that, and it was like a choice. Um, so I'm getting kind of the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not picking my family over this. My family's doing it with me. And that's and that and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, the, I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, you you don't measure success. I mean, success is measured in many different ways. But what you're doing, changing lives and so forth, and that was I, I, we can't. I could talk to you forever. I really could, and we'll have you back on. And like, I definitely want you to come out to Club 400. You can bring some of the kids out here. We're, we're, we got I got tons of ideas uh, how we could work together and uh, for a really mutual beneficial relationship on both ends. But I wanted to ask you a couple question, a couple questions uh, that was I've been thinking about. First of all, as far as like these kids, like do, do when they I, Brian Flanagan actually is our is our bartender here at Club Four Hundred. He also runs the the Little League uh, in Crystal Lake, and he's nice. he's got COVID right now. And I want to say uh, hopefully I'm his whole family has COVID right now as kids and everything. So uh, yeah. special shout out to Brian Flanagan and Sarah. You guys are going through some rough times right now, but he was telling me basically that he, he, you know, there's just so many people that can't afford little league. They can't even afford to play it. So how, how does it work with lost boys? When like someone comes in and says, Hey, I want to be a part of lost boys or, uh, 
do they, is, is that fully funded or how, how does it work on that on that end you know because i mean yep, it's not absolutely. cheap it's uh, uniforms equipment and that's the thing about talking about you levante i guarantee you're not going to let your right fielder wear the wrong glove out there like you're, you're paying attention to everything man <laughs> that's right man so listen you're right absolutely um again we've talked about it becoming a multi-billion dollar industry and it has now become a more pricey sport probably than when all of us grew up playing. Um, now, rec league is probably still somewhat reasonable for a family, but when you get into that travel ball, right, we're talking selling out thousands. But still, at a rec league level, it can get expensive if that organization, that local league, is not capitalized properly to do it. And in theory, right, the little league is supposed to be taken care of by the community, by the businesses, by the residents. This is where you raise the funds that are needed, et cetera, the volunteers. But when you have dysregulated communities, you can't have properly regulated activities like this. So in other words, if the community is dysfunctional, then it's not going to operate in normal ways that we're used to. And so, one, trying to fund these operations are really tough for little organizations or startups or concerned citizens. And we started off rough, man. Nobody wanted to sink money into this stuff in the beginning. It was just little league baseball. That's all the value people saw to it. Um, and as we begin to develop more into this fully integrated sports-based youth development organization, and we started finding like-minded um, people in the philanthropic world that recognized this, and we were able to start bringing more attention to it, um, and I really, you know, thank Glorious USA again. Shout out to Ben Shornack, the program officer here in Chicago. They were, uh, that's an organization started by Nelson Mandela some time back ago. And it has really shined a light on the power of sport and how organizations are using it. So anyway, we've been able to fully fund our organization. Our, our, I started out with like a thousand bucks doing this. Now our annual operating budget is somewhere north of 400000 a year. Wow. Um, awesome. Kids get everything, man. Yes, there is a small registration fee for the program. So within a year, the kids have the opportunity to do winter clinics, you know, which is now winter programming. They do spring, summer, and have their competitive season and training. And then there's fall ball for a select few to keep going and kind of adapt and get ready for the next year. And we do that with Chicago Baseball and Education Academy, which is housed inside of UIC, thanks to Curtis Grandison. So they get to play on a world-class field, and they have access to world-class indoor facilities. Now, we subsidize that cost for families, whether they can afford it, and some families that can't, well, families that can't afford it, of course, but some families that can, you know, we still got extra. So we've got a lot of strong partners like Tina Sarnett and the Sports Shed, pitch in for baseball out in, out in uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. Um, they help subsidize the cost of equipment. And so we provide the kids everything they need from batting gloves. And now with COVID, it's even more we've had to chip in because we right. provided them with individualized equipment sets. So instead of a team sharing four helmets and six bats, every kid has their own helmet, their own bat, of course their own mitt, batting gloves, get a practice uniform, game uniform, you get winter swag gear, uh, book bags, whatever we've got, they're getting it at no charge. Unbelievable. And so all they, they pay is the registration fee. That's unbelievable. Uh, so like winter is 100 bucks, summer is 150 and fall is usually like 50 So, you know, That's it could awesome. easily be out of what? Uh, 300 bucks for nine, ten months of programming. And then if they don't have that, there's scholarships that will cover, you know, scholarships we've created. That cover the cost for families. Right. Fantastic. So we try to take the we try to take money out the picture as much as possible. That's awesome, man. I just I'm I'm so I'm in awe of what what you're doing. I really am, and and it's just, just I mean, you're actually you're you're helping mold and shape these kids and help them help them become successful and give and giving them a, a blueprint for it, you know and. Uh, I I commend you uh, to the highest regards. Uh, you know, one of the greatest things about. Uh, Running Club 400 is being able to help people out. And I'm sure I, I have a lot of stories that I could tell you. 
I just want you to tell me one story. Uh, and I know you got to eat, and uh, we're going to go out. To, me and William are headed out for chicken wings here in a little bit here shortly okay. after this interview. But uh, tell me about, you know, and, you know, you, and look what you do. You, you give back in so many different ways. I mean, in so many different ways, and you help impact these kids' lives. But tell me one of your most, I guess, favorite heartwarming story of someone who you really made a difference to, you know? Someone that you'd help change their life. And I know that's more than one kid. Trust me. But, like, tell me, like, you know, like, you know Josh is one of my favorite stories. We had a, uh, we had a guy here uh, who came to Club 400, Levante, and he was very depressed. Uh, he didn't even want to shower, whatever else. I mean, he was just, in, he was, in, you know, we gave, I gave him a tour here, and then we had Andre Dawson come out for him, and we raised him $18,000, and then we, wow. got, we, we got him a job at Myers, and the next thing you know, he's big league me. He won't answer my phone because he's got all these friends, you know? <laughs> but uh, well, that's one of my favorite stories. But tell me, uh, and, and I know I don't want to keep you too long here, but tell me a story, one of your favorite stories about the impact you made on someone with the Lost Boys. Guys, that is an amazing story, which is just awesome. God bless you for that. Um, I got a bunch, but yeah, probably one of the most heartwarming stories just happened within the last two years. So we had a kid named Carmelo. He's been with us probably since he was about seven. He's 15. He's my son's age. They were schoolmates, classmates. Um, they graduated eighth grade together. Several of the boys that now uh, work in the team program. Um, but Carmelo came from a family where he had 10 other siblings. Um, there was a lot of problems at home, a lot of problems in the family. They actually had lost two of the older brothers back to back to gun violence. And we actually, there's a video out that you can find when you Google Lost Boy Chicago and it's produced by, uh, I think this one is produced by J2 Films or Allstate, but you'll see his sister Fantasia in there kind of telling that part of the story. But, you know, they lost their brothers back to back and he and his other brother started getting pulled into the streets uh, at a very early age. And so he had dropped out the program when he was probably about maybe 11. And so I started seeing him for the next couple of years, just hanging out in the streets, doing more and more stuff, getting in trouble, falling off at school really bad. And so we... Uh, a couple of years ago, he finally just like hit the bottom with it and he got caught and arrested uh, with his brother for a car jacking. He didn't have a gun or anything. They jacked like an Uber guy. And uh, so I get the call from one of the people at the school that let me know what happened. And then his family let me know because, again, that's how our organization operates. We get late night calls, things are going on. Can you talk to him? Can you help us do this? So I'm thinking, oh man, what has this kid gotten himself into? So I go visit him. Um, I go to the court uh, hearings and you know, I just did what I started out doing a long time ago. I showed up in the criminal justice system for kids because I'm an ex-offender. I got caught up in the criminal justice system at 19 while I was at college in Missouri. And I had absolutely no help, no family there, no nothing, just my mom. And she had to risk it all to try to help me get from under that. And I still didn't get from under it. First offense, and I ended up doing four years in prison mm. for having a firearm and uh, shooting it in the air. Long story, another story. But all of that's going through my mind. So I start showing up to court for young people that you know I would engage and work with. And it always had a positive outcome or impact, I noticed when you have an advocate standing in that courtroom. Um, and so I went and stood in that courtroom for him, and I just really worked and talked with that judge. And so she allowed him to, number one, come home on house arrest with my family. Of course, I'm thinking, oh, boy, she's going to chop my head off when I get home. I haven't <laughs> talked to her. I haven't asked. I just show back up with this kid. Like, he's staying with us. He's on house arrest. And that, but uh, Dana was very warm and welcoming to it. She knew Carmelo, again, you know, he's been in school with my son forever. So we had an extra bedroom. We brought him home. He stayed with us. My wife got him, you know, new clothes, all this different stuff. We got him on track at school. Gray shot back up. So now he's looking good, feeling good. Of course, he had to come back and play baseball for me. And so he had a, you know, 
a stellar season, his last season, uh, playing, you know, uh, when he was 14. And so they graduated eighth grade last year. And at that point, uh, like right after that, we kind of, a little while after, well, right in that time frame, we ran into COVID. So he ended up graduating, you know, they, we had the outdoor graduation, all that stuff. Um, but he ended up after that, he went to Milwaukee where his dad and his siblings all ended up. So his dad ended up getting all of the kids, bringing them to Milwaukee with him and kind of taking back control of his family. Um, but that is probably, and Carmelo is doing fantastic now in high school and up there with his family and his dad. And so that's probably my favorite story. Um, this was the willingness to open up our house like that and say, look, this kid can be saved and we're going to save him. We're going to do what it takes. And so, yeah, Carmelo is my favorite story. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Devante, we can't say, Levante, we can't say enough about how amazing it is, all the stuff that you're doing and you're, you're changing the world. I know at one point I asked you how many kids are involved. You said 200 and that, you know, not a big number. That's a, that's a huge number, you know, and and like you've been saying the whole show, it's not just about the baseball. It's about changing these kids' lives, and, you know, there unfortunately there aren't enough people like you. I'm assuming like your staff at Lost Boys, your team, everybody that works with you that are doing things to help change the world like you are. So this is super inspiring and we definitely want to figure out and we'll obviously be in communication. We want to figure out ways we can help and we can get people that we're connected to, to help your organization as well, because this is awesome. Yeah. As you know, it's all about networking and uh, getting to know different people. That's why that's how I met Danny and Crowley and all those guys. Uh, there's just a lot of good people out there, but I mean, what you're doing is truly, truly inspiring. Um, you know, and just that story you just told right there. Like, isn't it enough, really, to complete, you know, your success in life? I mean, isn't that enough, right? I mean, but look at all the other great things you're doing. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, you're a, you're a fucking very successful person, man. You are fucking doing unbelievable thing. I don't mean to swear, but I'm so impressed with you. I really am. I, I don't get impressed easily. But uh, I am impressed with you, and um, Club 400 is going to be behind you. you know, we hope to bond a good friendship with you and get to know you personally a little bit more, uh, but mostly uh, support your organization, Lost Boys. One final question. We'll let you go. We'll let you get to dinner. Maybe you have a cocktail tonight. I don't know. But tell yeah. us where our listeners can find uh, you know, your web, all your particulars as far as your websites, uh, what, what kind of social media platforms you're on, and so forth. Absolutely, guys. First, let me say thank you again for having me on. I am a huge Club 400 fan. You guys are doing some amazing work and looking out for people and taking care of people. Anytime I see that, it just warms my heart. And I can't wait to get out there this year. Chicago opens up and hang out, come and have a cold one. Well, man, I love being up that way. So You know what? Uh, and either we'll do I, I'm willing to host the whole 200 kids over here. We'll do a little cookout in the backyard. And, you know, I'm, I'm up for anything, Levante. I'm up for anything, buddy. We're, we're, we're all game for it. We'll definitely come down. And yeah. big shout-out to Danny Rocket and Crawley and the Ranters and, and the Bleacher Bums for really being, you know, the best supporters ever from the Cubs fan base. But if anyone wants to find us, they can find us at www.lostboysinc.org. That's our website. And our handle on all social media is pretty much Lost Boys Inc. And you got to put the ink on there or you're going to get the 90s New York rap group. Or you're going to get that 1980 vampire movie, which I am a huge fan of, by the way, too. So, And the last play on it that no one ever talks about, but it's been mentioned and actually it's a lot. Sports helps us adults stay young. And so there's this kind of analogy or this comparison that I'm like Peter Pan and Remember Peter Pan and he had the Lost Boys? Right. And Never Never Land yeah. and, you know, all of that stuff. And so now there are these analogies coming up with it. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'll take it. You take it, so, yeah. Yeah, so I'm the South Side Peter Pan. And uh, this is Never Never Land over here. <laughs> well, keep up the good work. Uh, Levante Stewart Sr. from the Lost Boys. By the way, I love your last name, Levante. And uh, we hope yeah, to see you very soon, soon. And uh, 
Keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. Uh, pleasure to get to talk to you this evening. And I hope all our listeners support Lost Boys going forward because I know we will be doing something here down the line, raising money for this unbelievable charity at some point. So thank you for your time tonight. And like I said, look forward to seeing you soon, Levante. Thank you, guys. William Stewart, have a great weekend, and thanks again. Thank thanks, you. buddy. Hey, we'll talk, all right? And I, well, you, you can cut this, William, but... Yeah. The ones that hate me the most look just like me. You tell me what that means Make a slick comment and see what that brings I've seen it go down, we can reenact things Extreme like BMXing These boys pussy and they PMSing People in the city see the movement occurring And say, my God, I wanna be in that scene Damn right you wanna be in this scene She had the video trying to be in this scene Used to fantasize about being this scene Bluegrass girl, but she got big dreams Can't touch me, I got instincts Locked in the house, but I'm plotting things I brought a gang to the party with me Five white boys, but they not in sync Fuck what y'all think Fuck everything that you say about me My dogs like to play Madden in 2K But one thing they don't do is play about me My homeboy Tyler, he playing South Beach He told me this summer he gon' fix my jumper I told Boy Wonder that we might got a thumper I been tryna pop, now I'm on like Shumper Now they on my bumper Green room chock full of all my comforts Hotel room like heaven on earth Got angels in my bed with some all white covers Ace Pro, Nemo, Lucian, Kiso, Slew, Clay, Tufo And I got a few